Country music. Since it's February, some may be asking, why would a podcast called Black Music Matters cover the whitest genre of American music on Black History Month, no less? Well, I especially chose February because I believe hiding the black roots of country music is perhaps the most egregious case of black innovation and white appropriation. So just how did country music become known as white music? To answer that, we begin at the beginning, the early 1900s, when the roots of country music were coming together in an area of the southern Appalachian Mountains, where blacks and whites not only worked together on the railroads and in the coal mines, but also lived in close proximity to one another. And for recreation, they would gather to play music. The African descendants played their field songs, religious hymns, and the blues. The European descendants played their English ballads, Celtic music, and the waltz. And they mixed it all up. Even the instruments became integrated. The violin, or fiddle as it is called in country music, was brought to America with the European immigrants. And the banjo came with the enslaved West Africans. But a music so integrated was not allowed to thrive in a time when nearly everything in the land was segregated. Housing, education, transportation, recreation. So why not segregate music? So thought the recording industry, which made a conscious decision to do so some 100 years ago. It was in 1920 that a small record company, OK Records, put out a Mamie Smith recording of a song called Crazy Blues. Up until then, the recording industry was catering to the white upper class and paid little attention to the blues. But Crazy Blues became such a big hit that OK Records created a new division for records made by black artists. Ralph Peer, who helped produce Crazy Blues, was put in charge of this new division, which he named Race Records, a term that others in the recording industry would use for nearly three decades to label music that was made by black artists and that would be marketed to a black audience. After realizing there was money to be made from the blues, record companies went in search of other forms of music they had been ignoring, and they found early country music. And Ralph Peer also came up with a term for that music. He named it hillbilly music. At least that was the term used when white artists recorded the music. But when black artists recorded the same music, It was labeled as race music, which was not given the same amount of radio play or the same amount of advertising as white hillbilly music. Many of the early hillbilly recording sessions were integrated. In doing research for his book called Black Hillbillies, history professor Patrick Huber found almost 50 black musicians that played on early white hillbilly records, but that fact was carefully and easily hidden back then. By 1927, Ralph Peer was working for one of the biggest record companies at the time, Victor Records, and he set up a recording studio right on the border of Tennessee and Virginia in a city called Bristol, looking for white artists who could become hillbilly stars. And at one of the early Bristol recording sessions, Peer discovered Jimmy Rogers, the man who is now called the father of country music. And he also discovered the group that was crowned the music's first family, the Carter family. Both of those country legends owed much of their great success to the black musicians and songwriters who taught them the blues. 
Jimmy Rogers, learned how to play the guitar and banjo from the black men he worked with on the railroad. The style of music he learned from them was the blues, a style that became quite prominent in Rogers' music. In the blues, there are four beats to each measure. The first beat is naturally accented, as is the third. Here's an example. These are lyrics to just one measure of a Jimmy Rogers song. It's T for Texas. The first and third are accented. T for Texas. To syncopate that music, accents need to be added to the normally unaccented second and fourth beats. Modern country music uses the drum to add the accent, but in early country music, there were no drums. So the guitar or banjo player became the one to add the accents on the two and four. Rogers was taught to play the blues by picking just one note on the first and third beats of each measure. And then to accentuate the second and fourth beats, he would strum a chord on the guitar. So if he played a C note on the first beat, a C chord would be strummed on the second. He'd pick a C note on the third beat and strum a C chord on the fourth beat, and so on. Rogers not only copied the style of the blues from black musicians, he would also take lyrics from a formerly recorded blues record and mix those lyrics up with his own original lyrics. The first family of country music, the Carter family, consisted of A.P. Carter, his wife Sarah, and Sarah's sister Maybell. The Carters also owed much of their success to black musicians and songwriters, especially singer-musician Leslie Riddle. A.P. Carter heard Leslie Riddle play guitar and sing on the streets of Kingsport, Tennessee, and he brought Riddle home to play the blues and spiritual music for Sarah and Maybell. It was Leslie Riddle who taught Maybell how to play the blues on the banjo and the guitar, just as Jimmy Rogers had been taught. The only difference was that since Riddle had lost use of three of his fingers due to an accident, he plucked the single notes on the one and the three with his thumb, a style of playing the blues that became known as the thumb brush style, or sometimes the Carter scratch. Riddle also showed Maybell how he could change from one pitch to another by pressing the blade of his pocket knife over the strings of his guitar. This type of playing is called slide guitar. Many bluesmen, especially those in the Delta region, used this technique. But some, instead of using a pocket knife, used the neck of a glass bottle, and so this style of playing was often called bottleneck guitar. Leslie Riddle also helped the Carters find new songs to record by taking A.P. Carter to black communities all over the Appalachian parts of Tennessee, Virginia, and North Carolina. A.P. Carter reworked many of the older tunes he heard, which pleased Ralph Peer, who would then copyright them, earning money for himself and A.P. Carter. So many black musicians have been forgotten, only to have their contributions live on, credited to white performers. Well, how about today? Things have improved, right? Sadly, not much. Out of the 146 members inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, only three are black. The first to be inducted was Charlie Pride. When his records were first released in 1967, his label didn't send any of the usual promotional photos to radio stations, fearing his music would not get played. So his fans just presumed he was white. 
Then when Charlie Pride started performing live, the fans would loudly cheer when his name was announced. But then, when he walked out on stage, a big hush came over the crowd. Still, Charlie Pride remained popular with country fans, and he became the first black artist to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in the year 2000. In 2005, the next black artist was inducted. D. Ford Bailey was his name, a country music star in the 1930s. Bailey widely toured with the Grand Old Opry, and he was the first artist to have his music recorded in Nashville. And finally, in 2021, the Country Music Hall of Fame felt safe enough to add one more black inductee, Ray Charles. For over a century, the recording industry has seen that country music remains the domain of white singers and musicians. But little by slowly, black artists are getting recognition and making some changes. Change has always been part of country music, but for some, it seems important to know just who is making the change before it will be accepted. Take the case of the song Old Town Road, which in 2019 was quickly climbing to the top of Billboard's country charts. Then suddenly it was removed. Billboard explained that it just wasn't country enough. Not because of the lyrics, which say, I'm going to take my horse to the Old Town Road and ride till I can't ride no more. No, that's about as country as you can get. Nor was it removed because of the instrumentation. The banjo, guitar, and drums are heard throughout. Oh, but the drums. Billboard argued that the drums in Old Town Road were not country enough. First, they were electronic. But Keith Urban utilized drum machines in his music since 1999. They didn't kick him off the country music charts. Billboard said it wasn't country enough because the song uses the trap style of drumming. Well, that might be a bit more complex than a simple backbeat, but I still hear a heavy accent on the two and four in the original version of Old Town Road. So there must be another reason it was taken off Billboard's country charts. Could it be that the singer Montero Lamar Hill goes under the name of Lil Nas X? Ooh, sounds like a rapper. Yes, Lil Nas X is a black man who does rap at times, but I wouldn't call the spoken parts of Old Town Road rap. Toby Keith's spoken parts in his 2001 song, I Want to Talk About Me, sounds much more like rap to me because his tempo is so much faster than the spoken parts of Old Town Road. But Keith's song wasn't removed from the country charts. Seems like Billboard was looking for an excuse to remove Old Town Road perhaps because some white country fans objected to a black artist doing so well with a country song. Probably they were the same fans who boycotted Wrangler jeans after Wrangler got the idea of making a Lil Nas X limited collection. The Lil Nas collection quickly sold out, but some country fans were so angry they called for a boycott of Wrangler jeans claiming that Wrangler was ruining the cowboy image it once had. Apparently missing from their white history education courses was the fact that 25% of the cowboys early on were black. And if you want to be really accurate, you could say that 100% of the cowboys were black. See, after the Civil War, many Southern men went out west to work with the cattle. 
White men were not called cowboys. They were called cowhands. And since from the days of slavery, the pejorative term boy was used for a black man, cowboy was originally the term reserved for black men who worked with cattle. Some people today are worried about teaching the facts about America's racial past. I worry more about not teaching those facts, because without learning the truth, how can we learn who we really are? And how can we avoid mistakes of the past? How can we heal the great divide?